The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC Sydney Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom, analyst whose work you can find at MMAJunkie.com, as well as five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio. But today, tonight, on this year program, we're going to be breaking down UFC Sydney, as per usual, from bottom to top, and not without a quick recap and a few notes off the top of things. We are coming off of uh, a crazy stretch in the war of UFC cards, uh, <laughs> coming off UFC Norfolk. i um, not going to get too into it. Everything's pretty much been covered this week anyways, to be honest, and... Um, it was a good card. It was one I was excited uh, for looking in. It was one of those ones where they kind of layer it with uh, gunfights. And uh, you got to be careful about using all these words now, right? Trigger words, trigger words. Ah. <sighs> all right, anyways, uh, we went 9-4 in picks, 2-1 and one in parlay pieces, 1-1 and one in props and straight plays. Uh, of course, headlined by Dustin Poirier. And Anthony Pettis, Poirier, got the win. Matt Brown, uh, as as my man Lou Thomas put, got the samurai sword win. And, and when I, when I when I saw uh, Luke say that on Twitter, I immediately got the picture of uh, I don't know if anybody's Akira Kurosawa fans. You should be. It's what uh, uh, George Lucas ripped off for Star Wars and all the wipe edits and all that stuff. But uh, no, not really ripped off. But you know, took some inspiration from to be to be fair. And uh, Seven Samurai, great film. Uh, you know, you're in for a watch, by the way, and they're, they're subtitles, but uh, good old Criterion Collection, good old DVD there, but um, great scene, um, Magnificent Seven, by the way, if you've seen that Western, it's basically based off Seven Samurai, and one of the one of the seven war, recruited warriors, if you will, uh, you know, one's a knife thrower, which was, you know, in, in the Magnificent Seven, the Western one, I think that was played by, uh, what's the guy? He ended up being one of the, those dudes, uh, Brolin, not James Brolin, maybe James Brolin, Josh Brolin's dad, yeah, one of the guys that studied under Bruce Lee, but he was the knife thrower, and of course in Seven Samurai it was the, the swordsman, and he cut so fast, no one had, no one saw it, and the guy just kind of just falls in half kind of a thing, and, uh, that's what Diego Sanchez felt like it, you know, just did, just fell, fell straight forward, so that was pretty brutal, um, yeah, Albini with the diaper. Yeah, was wrong there. And with, nothing worth about being wrong. Being wrong on a pick is uh, uh, when the guy wears a diaper and you're wrong. You picked the guy with the diaper. Like, yeah, I picked the guy with the diaper. I know, <laughs> but uh, it was a good. It was a good card. Um, and Norfolk was the last airport I flew out of as well. But uh, and I really wanted to go back to the show when I heard. I, I think I remember hearing when I was flying out that day, hearing that they're gonna have a show there, but uh, could not make it out. Um, but. Uh, Great show, nonetheless. Uh, there, that's a quick recap on that. Um, crazy fun week at MMA Junkie. It, it always is at MMA Junkie Radio. By the way, if you're not if you're not following that show, it, it is also on iTunes where you can kind of catch up on it. But just go to MMAJunkie.com forward slash radio 
and all the iTunes, RSS links, Stitchers, archives, all that stuff is all going to be there for you in, in one place. Um, and hopefully you're going to have MMAJunkie.com anyway, so, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, great, great week of guests on there, and we'll probably kind of touch back on some of that, because some of those ended up, or, you know, of course, we're always trying to you know, interview relevant fighters, but are, are on this fight card, so I guess I'll get to those as they come along with the breakdown, which we'll be getting to here in a second. Um, let's see, uh, oh, um. Kind of a random note. I don't know how much I should say about this. I've been really bad. So uh, the person I've been talking to about this, thank you for your patience. Uh, I've been, <laughs> I have enough accounts to catch up through, and you know, from emails to social media accounts through mine, the shows, uh, MMA Junkie Radios, all that stuff. Old Dan Tom kind of gets uh, gets drowned in that stuff. So if I don't get back, believe me, it's not intentional. So I apologize and thank you. But uh, the topic of of, of shirts. Uh, you know, in regards to the uh, logo, uh, a lot of y'all dig the logo, a lot of y'all dig the podcast name, and I appreciate that, <laughs> especially in a, in a world of saturated podcasts where, uh, you know, uh, just, it, it's hard to be original with stuff, and, uh, I can only take really half credit, uh, because aside from the idea and all that stuff, yeah, yeah, it is mine, of course, but man, I gotta shout out my man, uh, I want to get the uh, Twitter handle, and I'll actually shout it out in the second half of the show because I'm, I'm, I'm ill prepared. But but uh, uh, Jamil for uh, the gra- graphic designing it from the start, and just you know being a fan of the work and and doing that. So I'm, I'm going to give him a proper shout at the end of the show. But yeah, a lot of a lot of guys are asking about shirts and all that good stuff. And um, and uh, one second. Jamil Ramirez at the J42. Sorry, I had to stop and get it. Samsonite. Ah, it was close. Whatever the fucking dumb and dumber line. I just fucking ruined that. <laughs> but yeah, uh, shout out to my man Jamil Ramirez at the J42. Um, but but yeah, uh, but I, you know I don't know. I, obviously, for one, this podcast is not big enough, to, in my opinion, to be you know thinking about that. So it hasn't really been on the top of my docket per se. Though I'm flattered that anybody would even want um, want, want that idea, and and um, and two, you know, obviously, you know, self-deprecating Dan over here. At least I try to be um, when I'm not, you know, turning it up as you will for the show. Uh, yeah, I don't really, I don't really think about that stuff. So if I were to do it, it would just be like some kind of charity thing. Where aside from you know, cost of whatever taken taken out, uh, I, I probably would be somewhere I I wouldn't feel right. I wouldn't want to take a penny of it personally. I would probably just. Um, you know, talk to y'all on Twitter. Uh, hit me up at Dan Tom MMA or hit up the podcast at the PYM podcast. We could pick up, ch- you know, a charity or something like that. A, a good one. I, I don't like giving to those things blindly because <clears throat> I hear the bad sides about them too. But in other words, if if I were to do any kind of merchandising or anything, especially at this point, to be honest, it, w- it would have to be um, along those lines. So um, this is a family affair. This podcast. So just feel free to hit me up with some feedback. Um, which more of y'all been doing, so thank you. Fun chats. I'm glad to know that my random quotes, whether I get them right or not, are, are not being completely lost upon everybody and appreciated even sometimes. So very cool. Very cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, let's, let's get on to the breakdown, shall we? It's, it's, it's seven minutes and, you know, in change, we're getting to hit eight minutes here, depending 
Yeah, UFC Sydney. Uh, it was supposed to be Mark Hunt versus uh, Marcin Tabor, of course, you all know, with uh, eh, head trauma drama interview and, uh, you know, lawsuits and all that good stuff. Um, you know, you don't need me to unpack that. We have Fabrizio Verdum stepping in in the theme of former champions stepping in uh, to headlining spots, which we will revisit next week. But this week is Verdum versus Tabor off the top of the card. We will get to that, you know, last, of course, as you know, from bottom to top. We'll break in the middle after the prelims. And, uh, yeah, let's start Let's start from the bottom. Um, you know, as, I, as I'm pulling, as I'm refreshing the, uh, the lines here, Thursday night, by the way. Um, article not quite out yet at Junkie. Submitted it this morning. A little later than I usually do, but hopefully that should still come out the normal time. But uh, y'all y- hearing this probably be hearing it around Friday morning, and then I imagine the article will all be on, out by then, so no worries. But uh, I will be referencing, in other words, as per normal, the picks, plays, and analysis which you can find on MMAJunkie.com. Uh, front page of Fight Week uh, article released on Thursday. And yes, uh, UFC 218, we're going to be doing that at a early release, and I'll remind you on the times when that comes, and I'm not going to overly inundate and date you. As I already overly inundate you on this show. But yeah, a lot of drama. <laughs> My man Colby Covington getting boomerang thrown at him and calling the cops. I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, Verdum's got, you know, assault charges, which essentially just, you know, just means just a pain in the butt, uh. As my man uh, Zane Simon from Bloody Elbow, shout out to Zane Simon was pointing out on Twitter that <laughs> Of all the possibilities, it's just essentially just going to cost him a couple thousand dollars, which I imagine that might have been the reason why Kobe called the cops. But I don't know. I don't. I really don't care. I'm I'm laughing just as much as y'all. And tweet I sent out earlier kind of encapsulated my mood on it. And that was my that was my contribution of weighing in as far as it was the Australian clip going around where they're explaining it as a 40 year old man threw a boomerang at a 29 year old in the neck. And my tweet was very much explaining this is the struggles when trying to answer honest questions about what sport do you cover? Well, <laughs> my goodness. All right. We're going to start from starting from the bottom and we're here starting from the bottom and it's Rochelle Carter versus Ty Tuvasa. Hey, be glad I'm pronouncing and not trying to finish that song, right? All right, <laughs> we have Ty coming in as the favorite. Um, I believe he opened as the favorite. I'm, I'm, you know, Dan Tommy's kind of bad at opening uh, opening lines. Further proof if he doesn't really look at the lines or tries not to, at least for the most part, um, does a good job of not looking at it until I get the analysis in. But yeah, so again, Thursday to timestamp these odds. Um, Thursday evening. But uh, Tai Tuvasa, minus 165, uh, Rashad Coulter, plus 145. Um, it's on the avoid list, and for good reason. You know, when I was watching it, I was telling I was like, oh, wow, this is uh, within striking distance, although it is, you know, heavyweight MMA. I like what I'm seeing from Ty. Although, you know, I, I knew what I was looking at going in, a limited sample size. I know, hot word sample size, Dan always uses it. You know, four first-round finishes, not a lot to look for there. The type of guys I look to fade, especially... You know, guys 
though another you know kind of limited you know limited sample to draw from Rashad Coulter and what we did see you know heart and durability is one of the things you can't take away from the guy for what that's worth um you know could take him in the later rounds regardless this thing could turn into a shit show a shit circus supreme should it go past two uh, apparently you know if you especially look at you know, Ty's last fight that weird controversial fight with Jason McSweeney he comes in a little bit better shape than he normally did, and you know, it was noted by commentary on him himself in his post-fight. But he was still really tired, you know, uh, from almost the midpoint of the first round. Granted, it was kind of a high pace, and it was, you know, he's a young kid, young in his career, and not going to make the best of the decisions. Excuse me. So he was making poor decisions in the scramble, whether he whether offensive or, you know, uh, relinquishing to his back when he didn't need to, just exerting more energy than he needed to, whether he was making the right decisions or not, and um, was just tiring himself out. So very scary thing. Uh, that's when the confidence started to drop as far as, okay, yeah, I'm going to pump the brakes on the straight play. Let's see what this kid does because you can immediately see, you can immediately see what the bad matchups are for him are going to be in the UFC going forward. Uh, what the path to victory is against him, just getting him down, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, he's, you know, strapped up with that Tyson Pedro armor like he's a goddamn Dothraki soldier, uh, you know, making me think about just, you know, goddamn it, Dan, just fucking embrace your roots, stop trying to get down and wait and just fucking go full Mark Hunt and just put the weight on. Look at the, you're doing, those guys are doing well. They just touch guys and they go to sleep. Come on, Dan, channel it. Anyways, neither here nor here. But yeah, these guys all, they all kind of look like they're, the same, it's funny, the cornermen, like, they all look like Mark Hunts, and, like, all the cornermen, like, Mark Hunts cornermen, like, each iteration of the Samoan, like, all have, uh, <laughs> you know, the, it's funny, there's so many racial stereotypes and, and things you can say, oh, what we all look alike, you know, but that's funny, like, that we all look alike stereotype, that, that applies to a lot of different races, that's not, like, a, a particular race, you know, uh, bashing one, but, uh, yeah, I will say, as a as, a, as an Asian Pacific Islander, shit. <laughs> At a certain point, we do tend to look alike. There is a certain, like, prototype of guy, you know. Uh, Frank Camacho, who we'll get to later, you know, kind of has that that BJ Penn, Robbie Lawler, who, by the way, half Filipino, if you don't know. So, you know, that fitting within that Pacific Rim type of look. But we'll get to him later. Um, this matchup, you know... Hard, hard not to have your heart with a guy like Rashad Coulter, who by all accounts is a great guy. Uh, shout outs to my man Aaron Menard from Texas, uh, who actually refed uh, one of Rashad, Rashad, Rashad Coulter's fight. Thankfully for Rashad Coulter's opponent, because Rashad Coulter knocked him out pretty fast, and it was a, a great stoppage there from a man uh, Aaron in Texas doing his thing. But uh, you know, just Coulter though, man, a, a, a single dad with a daughter, I believe. I mean, how do you not root for a guy like that? Um, be happy if he wins. I got no stake in it, but the pick is uh, Ty Tuvasa. Um, just, just, just a happy-go-lucky dude. It feels like a half my family members slash kids I went to school with, uh, or slash we're on the football team. But, uh, but yeah. So we'll see what happens there. Next up, also on. By the way, all the avoid lists, as per usual, are usually early, but we got them all four in a row here. Second on the avoid list. Second up for the night. Eric Shelton as the favorite, minus 370, pretty steep favorite against Janelle Lauza, plus 310. Um, you know, 
lacking the ground game, obviously, Lauza is, but but a lot of promise in the boxing. But obviously, that's his background. Uh, you know, you look at the region of the Philippines; it's one of the stronger martial arts is boxing, uh, where he's from. So he's, he, the skills shine through there, and and you know, I want to see guys like that. I'm not Filipino, by the way, or anything like that, or like that. But you know, just, I, I want to see regions that. I say this about Canada and other regions too, uh, even regions that were once great and you know could use a bump. I'm always you know always bucking for the underdog in that sense, and you know it'd be nice to see these guys from these regions do well. But the, the, there's a lot of ground to cover, especially you know when you have a guy Eric Shelton who's now you know especially after the tough series, floated around, but you know has been able to train with high level training partners, uh, coaches, getting those experiences. Uh, got the big stage experiences as well. Um, you know, n- not in vast contrast to his counterpart by any means, but but he has it. And then obviously we start, you know, pe- further peeling back the onion on Shelton. You know, his athletic potential that is often, you know, uh, hearkened on. But, you know, aside from that, he's got a technical potential. You know, the way he throws, uh, the way he throws, springs, retracts, defends, sprawls, <clears throat> transitions. There's a lot there to like. It's not one of those, uh, you know, I don't want to paintbrush stereotype. Oh, he's athletic. You know, I mean, he the, there is skill there. But it, it also is going to, you know, I don't want to sound condemning because he's ultimately a young guy. So he's I'm sure he's going to get better ultimately. So uh, let that be said before I, I say this next thing. But, you know, it could be one of those guys where we keep saying, oh, so much potential. Oh, and he just ends up being one of those guys where it's just like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he's great in the gym. Oh, there's so much potential there. You could see it, and it just feels like you're a broken record. And then that person's past their prime and cut with, with a losing streak because we were all, including for the fighter, waiting around for that bus that never came. Um, and I don't want to be overly dramatic there. Again, Eric Shelton is young. I'm sure he's going to get better. But what I am saying is that line is a little steep. The pick is Shelton here. But again, for that reason, the line is a little steep because ultimately, though, there is potential and there's a lot of bright spots from the mat to the feet uh, for, with Shelton's game. He kind of has that style where you can argue that he's making fights closer than they need to be. Um, and it's pretty easy to make the argument if you just look on the paper, the split decisions. I mean, it says so on paper, but I mean, I'm, I'm even just, you know, in the spirit of peeling back the onion further, you know, uh, just, just within his style. So that's why that one's on the avoid list. All right, next. Oh, you like this pace? I like this pace, baby. It's like a non-FS1 pace. Uh, Alex Chambers is a 39-year-old coming back. We haven't seen her since, wow, uh, 2015. Um... Uh, against Paige Van Zant, uh, one of the one of the uh, first handful of cards. Uh, old Danton broke down on MixedMartialAnalyst.com. There, please don't go look at it. That breakdown was terrible. But uh, yeah, um, the astrophysicist, you know, had some injuries, had some bumps in the road. Uh, took you know, uh, not the most consistent in the, the you know the, the, the latter years, obviously. And then we have kind of the opposite again. Hot word, hot word. I know Dan Tomalls uses it. I can take a shot if you're looking. Maybe I'll get to that point. But probably get to that point before, before I get to like an ad revenue point with this podcast. Of I'll have a drinking game, and if we were playing a drinking game, you would take a shot every time Dan Tom says sample size because Nadia Kasim, Kasim, Kasim. Um, lot to like, but not a lot of sample size. Um, you know, again another. Uh, Top of my head, I don't have. Uh, let's see. 
I want to say four and zero, four first round finishes, and so and, and again, oof, <sighs> very low. I mean, like you know, no offense, ladies. Uh, like most regional MMA <laughs> female fights, it's a low drawing pool. You know, it's um, you know, it, you know, the girls in Brazil looks like that. You know, between them, you know, they can. <sighs> The in between maid service jobs, we'll be trying to make some extra cash. Like, where are they pulling these people from? I mean, and the same can be said not picking on Brazil or anything because the same could be said about uh, Nadia Kasim. I was gonna say it like that, Kasim. It's probably not even pronounced that way, but uh, Nadia Kasim, her competition. I mean, one of her competitions, she's like an albino skeleton. Dude, one of the girls she faces looks like fucking what, what's that guy that's from the Tough Nation with that look like uh, Hannibal Lecter mixed with the vampire. Um, mixed with a skeleton, uh, Colin Fletcher. Colin Fletcher? Is that, is that the name, Colin Fletcher? Yeah, like female form Colin Fletcher, like not flattering. And I, God, I sound like an asshole. It's, I guess I'm to be delicate. Ladies, I love ladies. I'm not trying to, they're athletes. Forget all that, man. This person looked like Colin, the female Colin Fletcher, okay? And it was scary. Thank God it didn't last long. <laughs> the point is, we don't know a lot about Casm. And, uh, and, and, and but, 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 you know, she looks pretty mean, you know, uh, Southpaw's got some pop to her kicks, would like to see more on the ground, but, um, we, you know, we may, uh, if we do, it might not be good. It might be one of those things where you're sleeping and then, you know, Alex Chambers catches the arm bar, you know, uh, you know, she's done that before, but it's tough. Um, she used to fight at Adam weight. So I don't think the weight cut of getting older, and, you know, and again, credit to the females, though, it fucks with everybody's hormones, male or female, but it really messes with these females, these weight cuts, man. And, uh, but the fact of, you know, that she used to fight at Adam weight, I imagine that's not going to affect her with the older age. Um, but, you know, it is older age, and the fact that she used to fight at Adam weight could be troubling because you look at, uh, you look at Kasim. And she has fights that, you know, flyweight and I believe even uh, one or two at bantamweight. Um, and, you know, she looks like she cuts a bit to get down. Uh, even, you know, even even of late, uh, looking at, you know, her, her pictures leading up into this camp. So, something to look for. People are yelling outside. Yeah, and dogs. Hopefully my dogs are going to start barking here in a second. But anyways, uh, that's why it's on the avoid list. Um... I prefer the wind that was blowing earlier. It was like this wicked ass wind that was blowing outside, and I was like, oh, "This is gonna fuck with my podcast." We prefer that than the random vagrants outside yelling. Now it's not like my apartment in Brooklyn. Now that place had vagrants. I would share dinner with them sometimes, actually, because the apartment would go out, uh, the, the power, and it'd be like super hot, and there's only like fucking two windows in the whole damn thing. And uh, so if I came home and had food, and I would uh, end up having to take it out in the stoop where there would be sleeping homeless people. And then I would feel bad. Old Dan Tom and I would like break them off a piece of the food. And yeah, that was New York. Uh, all right. Uh, see, I get distracted very easily. <laughs> easily. Let's go to the next fight here. Uh, I believe we've graduated from Fight Pass and now are on FS1 for Damien Beatdown Brown versus Frank. The Crank Camacho with the uh, Pacific Islander reference that uh, I already touched on. But, uh, yeah, he's kind of got that style, though. You know, that 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 
kind of that BJ Penn's that boxing swing, swing and step, looking to set up his left hook, right hands. Um, you know, he, he he started off as a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt as well, and kind of just fell in love with his hands though, uh, and then fell in love with not kind of cutting weight because he went up to welterweight for his last like four or five fights. But in that stretch, and even before that at lightweight too, when you kind of go back and watch, you know, Frank, who, by the way, he's a real veteran of that kind of that scene. I mean, not a lot of names are going to jump out to the casual. Um, but as far as, you know, if you're watching the PXC or having to go through these footage, you're going to see Frank Camacho come up, uh, whether you're looking at, you know, guys like Kasuya's uh, footage and whatnot, you know, to just uh, other more regional guys that are kind of more, uh, you know, more of a flavor to that part of the world, uh, per se. But yeah, uh, he he kind of just got reckless, and even on his regional scene fights, you're kind of like watching it, like man. Even not knowing this guy's going to the UFC, I'm still wondering when the bottom's going to drop out. And he's not that you know old. He's 28, um, and, and 20 and five, which is a decent amount of fights. But again, if you just look at these last kind of last back half, maybe back two thirds, or you know, somewhere around there of his career, he just starts making this really aggressive swing. And, uh, I mean, and it's kind of apparent on how many of his fights go to decision. I mean, again, this is something that translates on paper as well. And uh, that kind of parlays into the prop piece, uh, the official prop piece that, that I played here. Because um, on the other side of him, we have uh, Damian Brown, who I'm a fan of, uh, you know, um, a fan of military guys, guys that bring awareness to PTSD, uh, just rugged, real warriors, and, and and that's Damian Brown. Um, you know, he's not a guy that gets a, a a lot of attention on the media rounds. You know, he's an Australian guy in a deep division, but uh, you know, hearing him on on, on you know, I, I think half the battle was probably one of the first ones I heard actually more of an in depth with you know kind of his background and. Uh, yeah, you know, as Dan Tom's talked about before in this show, always a soft spot for, for you know, uh, military guy, especially guy you know, done four combat tours like uh, Damian Brown has. Uh, tough loss. He was actually doing well, showing some 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 subtle improvements. I mean, he didn't really get too much time to warm up in the fight. You know, it ended about midway through the first round against Vince Bichel, who, you know, is a grindy wrestler. Comes out and counter uppercutting step back shifting up you know <laughs> countering and like oh wow okay well there's that um and and, and props to Pichelle who wow I, I think I might have heard him on like a roasted podcast and may roasted one which I don't listen to that often but I remember listening to his particular one he had some crazy stories but uh, I don't want to quote them because they were crazy and it's a misquote it would be even crazier but yeah um shout to Adam Hunter by the way I, I gotta I gotta I gotta go catch him again when he's when he's uh when he's out here. Always puts on a good show. Um Alright, um But yeah, uh Damian Brown, you know, he's he's an over uh, overachiever in a sense. We're you know, real, real real tough guy. Uh he will be at a ground disadvantage if Frank Camacho does decide to dust it off, but the one I think the grappling may tire Camacho. Because even, you know, we see it a lot even with guys that are kind of grapplers when they're forced to grapple. Um, they get tired, and especially when they kind of go away from grappling, and then you kind of put two and two together, and you start kind of hypothesizing. Again, just speculation, but you go, hmm, maybe that's why they avoid grappling, you know, uh, because they, you know, it, it makes them tired, you know. 
um, you know, you'll, you'll hear that you know, thrown to guys like Woodley and, and others uh, too, not like just jujitsu guys or wrestlers, kind of grapplers in general, right? But uh, and yeah, that's another intangible, by the way, Frank. You know, Camacho coming back down to 155. Although I don't see it foreseeing it being that big of a problem. And, and again, I don't see the jujitsu part being being too crazy either. Either uh, you know, Brown's a smart guy. He works his he, he works all the parts of his game. And even against a guy like uh, Patrick Silva, uh, Alan Patrick, you know, um, a weird style guy, granted, but you know, jujitsu black belt. Uh, can definitely finish from there and uh, can definitely put you in precarious positions. And he did, you know, he he lost to him, but uh, uh, just because he lost to him and, and certain things that there's certain uh, positional stanzas and stuff where, again, he, he still lost the fight, but he impressed me in those moments. It showed improvement and showed awareness. Uh, so I don't know if it's going to be that huge of a factor. I just see, regardless, I just see these guys going back and forth with each other, their styles. Um, they're just comp, their styles just complement each other. I, I don't see how this is not going to be crazy. And, uh, so I played, um, minus 180, uh, it, it came up. I didn't get it, uh, you know, at or near the opener, but still within striking distance for me, I put a unit and a half on it. A fight won't go the distance. It was hard to take a side on it. Um, that's why it's on the avoid list in, in that sense. Because, again, it's, it's one where it's like good luck taking a side. Uh, you know, I went with a slightly more experienced guy who has slightly more uh, tools or proven on paper tools to, you know, on, on the feet and standing. And Camacho, who has experience at a higher weight class. But I'm not confident in that pick. If anything, I, I you know, my heart's kind of with Damian Brown here. You know, kind of as stated. So that's kind of more the 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 safer angle on it. If anything, you don't got to follow me off that cliff. But if anything, that should point to stay away from a side, right? I think we all can agree on that. All right, next fight. Uh, let's see. Oh, yes, I would like to stay logged in. Ah, you still lock me out. It's all good. All right, next fight. Uh. Oh, wow. I already covered Coulter Tiff. Oh, I must have switched that around. Okay. Yeah, I switched it around. Sorry. Well, I'll... I'll, I'll next fight's Coulter and, and, and Ty. But since I did that, I will go back to the opener, as it should have been the opener, um, which is uh, Hamilton versus uh, Weezerick. I already broke this down because this was originally scheduled for dance, and the Ultras shut that down. Uh, soccer hooligans uh, associated with Weezerick. Uh, Hamilton, even though he did get a couple more weeks now to recover from a KO loss, he still has been trending badly with his losses, his KO losses, um, etc. The, the, the damage trends are bad, and it's pretty uncomfortable. Uh, and, you know, especially when a guy already does a post about, you know, talking about retirement and stuff like that, it's never good. Uh, and again, not a big, n not a big sample size on 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 Weezerick, but he's 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 a heavyweight who embraces a small guy style, which you know I'm a fan of. Um, whether we're talking about jujitsu, which is more I'm talking about here with Weezerick, or you know the classic Mike Tyson example of embracing the small man style on the feet as a heavyweight and the advantages that come with that. But Weezerick, uh, more like a Stefan Struve, maybe because he's bald, you know, tall, lanky, you know, uh, bald and hot, hot. But uh, he he takes the back really nicely. Body triangles uh, can work from the guard, can transition. Uh, 
Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can kind of just see in his movements, albeit, you know, again, limited, limited size to draw from. But, you know, there is a lot to like there. He was a straight play. So, again, kind of like a, you know, oh, that's a bad omen. Kind of like the Walt Harris play where the fight gets pulled apart and rebooked. If I had a play attached, well, the fight gets pulled around, you know, turned around in a couple of weeks and essentially the same matchup is being put together. I kind of got to stick to my same analysis, right? That would be... Anyway, so yeah, I did hear straight play on uh, Adam Wieserich, minus 161 unit, and he is still... Minus 160. Come back on Hamilton. Plus 140 if you're feeling the the freight, the freight train. But, uh, yeah, I ain't feeling it. I don't know. All right, next fight. So I'm really tired. I almost like <laughs> I don't know. I don't want to say I almost didn't do the podcast. I just was, uh, I was in that mode where, like, you're just trying to wake up. Because I had to do a power nap. Because Dan Tom did. Just this, this part of the week toward the end, just the sleep gets lesser and lesser. And then I spend these next Friday and Saturday kind of recovering, slash recovering, slash enjoying myself come Saturday, because uh, vice is when I try to enjoy myself, and then uh, it's right back on it Sunday. So that is a peek into the life of Dan Tom. Nobody cares, Dan. Shut the fuck up. Lentz versus Brooks. Uh, <laughs> and that was borderline on the avoidance, because the line, the line just got crazy now, right? Because... I mean, it was, you know, minus 300 category, which is still kind of questionable for, you know, who we're, who we're talking about here, which is uh, Will Brooks, who really hasn't been doing that great lately, uh, you know, since coming over to Bellator. Won a competitive decision that I think was closer than a lot of people realize against Ross Pearson, who obviously has been, was then, on a bad trend. Um, so I don't know how much that says, but... That hasn't hampered people's enthusiasm because Will Brooks is minus 570 to Nick Lentz plus 435. Now, I, you know, my pick is Brooks here, and easy for me to pick against Nick Lentz. You all know I'm not a fan of Nick Lentz. Uh, not a fan of guys you know, calling out guys who should be retired and probably have brain damage and calling them out to try to make a name, A, and then doing it just distastefully and then sticking to it. I don't follow politics. I don't care about any of that stuff. But just apparently he's like one of those MAGA Trump dudes and whatever. And he like puts politics on. And then you hear these stories like from Will Brooks and others about him being, you know, racist about people coming through uh, from the Muslims, Russians and whoever. Just um, making racial comments or uncomfortable scenes. Um, yeah, Nick, I'm not sure why you're you're a big Nick Lentz fan. Well, I'm not, I shouldn't call you or anybody anybody who's a Nick Lentz fan out. But yeah, I guess I'm just saying, not sure why I, that's a better way to say it, I'm not sure why I should be a Nick Lentz fan when I hear that stuff. So, again, I'm not a big politics guy, but the other stuff, I mean, come on now. Anyways, neither here nor there, because I actually vouch for Nick Lentz here in this spot, because the line is, is off. So even though the pick is Brooks, I vouch for Nick Lentz, uh, if you go read the DraftKings section. He is, he's the low-tier pick. Granted, He's the bottom of the barrel pick, but when you look at like who's at the bottom of the barrel there for like those those bottom, um, like five or six six selections, and there's a lot at the top. So the chances are you're probably gonna have to reach that low, 
And when you just look at, I try to look at, okay, well, who's likely winners? Because sometimes you can just go with that angle. It's like, well, uh, they're not the highest potential point scorer, but compared to all the other selections that are within my price range, they're the most likely that's going to win at the end of the day. And sometimes that ultimately makes the difference. It's not the most enticing, you know, picking a, you know, a female fight where it's not even like a female wrestler. So you're probably not going to get a finish. You're not going to get, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not picking on the ladies here. I'm just, I'm talking about a points perspective or something like that, but you're like, Oh, well, okay. But it's just a sure shot. She's at least going to win. And the price is, is within what I'm looking for. Boom. But this one, uh, Lentz was more just, you know, with, with the takedown. Now, granted, Brooks, obviously, traditionally a hard guy to take down, high takedown percent rate. But Brooks's problem, which has been leading, which has been a real key to his bad trend of late as far as losing fights even, is that he is too comfortable hanging out in the clinch. And that is a place that Nick Lenz, love or hate him, makes his home, you know. Uh, even in his loss, you know, you watch that, especially that second fight to Charles Oliveira. That's a fun fight, by the way. I mean, they're both fun fights, but go watch that second fight with him and Charles Oliveira, his last fight at 45. And a big part of that game plan was to, to utilize the body lock, even, you know, with the threats of his guard, which the body lock helped pass guard on the takedowns, granted, but he still had to worry about knees on the way in. So there's a lot of danger playing in that space, but... Nick Lentz is just kind of used to building his game around that. So if Brooks continues to downtrend here, you know, it could be worth a play as far as, you know, your your fantasies or or anything like any any of those kind of style of games. Because, again, it's not like it's going to be really easy to play Brooks here. I don't know how confident you're going to be, much less how much you can really play. Or what the angle would be, you know, as far as, you know, you, you can get a decent angle as far as inside or or by decision. But, you know, I don't know. I'll pull it up now, and I would say more likely by decision. But, you know, maybe Nick Lentz's body craps out on him because that's what's been happening lately, right, as far as him pulling out injury, botch weight cuts, bad weight cuts, all of the above even. So it, it, that kind of make that kind of intangible makes it hard to pick a hard a hard angle on your side if you're trying to, you know, save some money uh, as far as price goes to playing them. Let's see. Brooks inside plus 241. And then three-round decision minus 145 if you're feeling that. I guess that's more like angle. But, I mean, again, I don't, I don't know how, how confident you feel on being aside on that. Um, not on my official avoid list, but pretty much, pretty much, pretty much right there. All right, uh, next fight is not on the avoid list. It is actually a, a recommended parlay piece. It is Ryan Benoit, uh, minus 275. Got him at minus 270, uh, which will be on the official breakdown on MayJunkie.com. Uh, facing Ashkan Mokhtarian, who sounds like he would be in the directory in a Tatooine phone book. Uh, who's come back is plus 235 for Ashkan. Um... Yeah, um, Ashken, you know, bless him, sounds like a guy turning his life around, learning from his mistakes, embracing martial arts, living and breathing it. Awesome. Love guys like that. You know, got a family, doing the right thing, trying to fight, support, great. Love it. But as far as skill-wise, um, he doesn't possess the things that traditionally trouble Benoit. You got to be able to 
out wrestle Benoit, who actually is a decent wrestler. Don't let don't let his performances against Moreno and stuff like that fool you. I mean, Moreno has proved you know be an overachiever in his own right uh, and, and better than most of us have thought, and most all of us have been wrong at him at one point or another. So don't put too much into weight into that. You know, um, Ryan Benoit, you know, is a three-time state champ wrestler, comes from that base, and more importantly, got back in that route. Yet we haven't seen him since December, almost a year. But he stayed with that recent camp change, and those camp changes could kind of throw you off, you know. Uh, we recently had Benoit in the studio and was talking to him off the mic, and was just a nice guy, man. I mean, you know, you see that temperament. You see, you know, he gets real caught up in the moment when he fights, and, you know, that's real apparent with the Sergio Pettis where he hits him after the bell, and you kind of see that temperament, even, like, looking before that fight. like, And that's, cool. that's what makes him so exciting. That's why it makes him such a good fighter. I mean, you go look at his fight with Burchak at 135. Uh, you know, outside of the UFC, that was that's a fucking fight. Um, so you see that. So you know, and, and, and you know, joke like, oh, he looks like you know Sid from uh, Toy Story. How is he? Is he gonna be a bully like him too, dude? He's the nicest dude, most like bright eyed, like, um, you know, real genuine vibe. Really surprised me. Not that I would, thought badly of him, but again, you don't know what to think, right? Uh, you know, fighters are just regular people. They're not. They're, it's you know, it's it's not all one one paintbrush, uh, good or bad. Um, but he was a really well mannered dude. Uh, you know, and was you know, I, I don't want to give too many details or anything on stuff that was off mic. You know, I don't know if it's off record or not, but you know, just stuff that you could kind of put together that I kind of put together just from speculating, to be honest. Like as far as uh, you know. Going separate ways with uh, training in Texas, which is why you saw him uh, doing the camp adjustment and coming up here to Vegas and training with uh, Ricky Lindell, who uh, you know I think highly of as a coach, really good. And again, a wrestling and grappling coach, uh, going to be the a, a per, you know who, who you know not just wrestling you know under Kale Sanderson, but a, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt, world's competitor, qualifier winner. Um medalist uh even so i mean the kind of coach guy if you look at benoit's game stand up heart knockout power uh wrestling offensive defensive scrambles uh pretty you know uh, pretty good but more just the ground game and stuff kind of stifled him in past performances um so it's kind of a perfect fit and uh i'm real big when i see not just perfect fits, but perfect fits with good coaches as well. And these guys really seem to melt good and meld well. And um, given Benoit's age and this time off, I only imagine it's a good thing, you know. Time to revamp, slow down because, you know, he won the fights he was supposed to win, even though those they were deceptively tough in their own right, uh, especially, obviously, the Sergio Pettis one, but I'm talking about the other fights. Uh, um, but... You know, not not the easiest schedule either. Um, you know, and guys that he lost to may have been under the radar at the time, but then we would see, oh, Moreno, oh, Win, Ben Win, like yeah, those guys are legit. You know, those guys are like future. Those guys are going to be around in the division. They're going to meet again. Um, so uh, I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't, you know, it's going to you know win. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying like that the, there were quality losses. Was the point there? Uh, so yeah, real high on him here, and as we saw, Mokhtarian, you know, granted Moraga underrated there, just he just doesn't use it. That's Moraga's problem with everything. It's not that Moraga's a bad fighter; it's that Moraga just he'll just stare sometimes. And now he's seemingly fixed that. 
so you know, and 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 so I I don't want to say oh Moraga out wrestled them, so Moktarian sucks. No, that's not why Moraga's good. Um, but it's more just based off of Moktarian's actions and reactions to what Moraga was doing. That's kind of where I kind of judge. I kind of base my speculation as to where Moktarian's games at and. Uh, I, I'm having trouble seeing uh, seeing him take down Benoit. And on the feet, you know, he's going to present some problems. Mokhtarian's got the southpaw stance. He throws some liver and high kicks really hard he commits to. But those hook counters from Benoit are just much more unforgiving, and they kind of feed into those um, shots that Mokhtarian likes to throw. So, yeah, kind of all around, whether this fight were to end inside or go the distance, I see Benoit kind of having the edges in all areas. Felt that 270, even 275, obviously, just not not really much of a difference there. But uh, I feel that's well within range for a, a parlay piece. If you're looking for people to fill in and you're looking just to do something for fun, that's just my recommendation. Again, just recommendations and entertainment. And yes, I always play what I say. And on that beat, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to unpack the main card of UFC Sydney right here on the Protect Your Neck Podcast. Cucarachas enojadas Here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC Sydney main card breakdown, and kicking things off is, well, not the not not the lightweight, not really the featherweight, catch weight, 150 pounds, weight old Dan Tom's familiar with. Um, we have Alexander Volkanovsky as who quickly and still is up to a minus 700 favorite, biggest favorite on the card, versus Shane Young, the third man. To fill in because we originally were supposed to have uh, who the fuck knows? Go look it up. <laughs> Shane Young at plus five hundred. Man, I actually like this kid, Shane Young. I was pleasantly surprised, especially you know being a weak stand-in. You know he hadn't fought in a minute. I was like, okay, what's going on here, man? This can't be good. But looks to be in shape. Looks to be a kid who stays in shape, stays ready. Discipline takes his career seriously. Looks like the Kiwi Chris Wade. But fights like a more polished version, especially on the feet. Uh, obviously, it doesn't have the the, the the wrestling or anything like that. Um, at least, I mean, well, he actually has de- decent wrestling, but as far as the ground game, it's just very limited sample size. He has a rear naked choke finish where he takes the back very nicely, you know, that you know, which might be a shot in the dark against Volkanovsky, who is a wrestler, which means they inherently also turtle, but Volkanovsky. Excellent positional awareness, lever awareness, always picking guys post when they're going to stand, smothering guys. Uh, he is the prototypical guy to uh, beat a guy like Shane Young. Uh, really impressed with Shane Young, I was starting to say, because it was on the feet, standing on the feet, striking. A lot to like about him. I don't know, if, limited information, but I, I will guess that he has some type of karate base because he's got the real ins and outs. He can go from teeps to tie kicks to kind of more karate front kicks to side kicks. 
and really pulls and returns very boxing style as well. Uh, carries that through the, uh, to, to more of a boxing-centric style, I should say, of pulling and returning. Jabbing, coming back with his cross. I mean, the kid can do a lot of different things on the feet, and I like it a lot. But, again, uh, akin to a miniature juggernaut is Alexander Volkanovsky. I mean, that's the kind of guy you need to fight that. Not just a grappler to beat the striker, kind of, so to speak, in, in, in very overly simplistic terms, if you will. But even the way he enters space, a guy that, you know, durable, presents power of his own, can change level, variate his level of attack. Um, and I imagine that's going to get him through here. Although, maybe surprised or some. I don't know. I, I actually have Volkanovski by decision. Um, I mean, I'm not tired or married to that. I This is kind of a fight to stay away from, even more so, because of the fact that Shane Young actually has some potential. Like I, I'm really excited to see this kid in some fun matchups down the future. I don't, I, I don't think he's going to be anything world champion-wise. I'm not saying that or ready to say that. And I'm not saying he won't. I'm just saying that's, that's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying is there's reason to be excited about him as far as looking at his striking is concerned. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think he's tough enough. Um, and with the fight-to-fight improvements and kind of looking online who he's training with, and I don't know. Uh, I, I think, you know, unless Volkanovski, which, you know, Volkanovski will sell out for, will sell out for things, but he, he's not more too, so much of a sub guy. You know, he's more of a... Sell out for strikes. Uh, he goes for the strikes. He loves his knockout power. He loves doing it for the fans as well. Like that could be dangerous going forward, um, especially you know against a guy that can counter uh, like Young. But but uh, but but yeah. Uh, but for that reason, um, with that with that that, that that tough Kiwi chin Young has, I, I see him. I see him just being able to survive. I think it'll be a clear decision. Don't get me wrong. Just saying, I think the kid survives the decision. I'm honestly not betting it either way. But, yeah, that is my my Serioso pick, which, by the way, I don't have my notes in the breakdowns in front of me. So, for all the stats, facts, and in-depth summaries, please, 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 for all these main cards, they're all covered that we're about to talk about now. I'm going to miss a lot of stuff. So, uh, anything I do miss, you can see at MMAJunkie.com on the breakdown. And I put a lot into it, guys. I, I lose. I lose sleep. I lose sleep studying studying to rat these. So uh, hope, hopefully, uh, hopefully, y'all are reading them. And those of you that I know are and are sharing sharing kind words, man, that means the fucking world. Thank you. You guys are fucking awesome. I really appreciate that. Um, it means the world. All right, next fight we got Dan Kelly. Oh man, Kelly plus two thirty underdog, the quintessential underdog, mind you. Versus Elias Theodoru, minus 270. Oh, oh, did I want to pick Dan Kelly. You know Dan Tom. Oh, you know Dan Tom. Left-handed Kelly. Um, you know, got a little too high maybe after that Rashad, Rashad fight on him. But uh, but Dan Kelly, man, how can I love that guy, man? Uh, would love to see him do well. This one, another one, I don't. it's not on the avoid list, but I don't have a stake on it because it is a deceptively competitive fight, like all Dan Kelly fights are, you know? Uh, the reason is because Theodoru's comfort zone is in the clinch. That's where he commands, maybe even rests at times, stalls, if you will. Theodoru does. The problem is it's a bad place to have your comfort zone when you're facing Dan Kelly. Dan Kelly makes his money even with one leg. Like, the stuff he was doing to Rashad, like, there's points in there is great, like... They're clinched together, and Dan Kelly can't even put or push off of his right leg, much less put, like, decent weight on it. So you see him 
putting his right shoulder on a Rashad, resting his weight on Rashad as a post instead of using his right leg while his right leg's off the mat. And then he actually uh, re-swims get, for an underhook and then comes up standing and, and, and kind of adjusts position. But it was this real clever veteran crafty shit like that, like making use of the fact that your b- body doesn't fucking work. And uh, you're just using the, you know, judo, you're going to use the other guy's weight against you. Yes, that's all well and good. And yes, that's what he does. But just using a guy's body to help you hold your own goddamn weight up while, <laughs> while you re-swim for an underhook. Like, <laughs> that's fucking multitasking, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Dan Kelly is a savage, man. I love that guy. I'm fucking rooting for him here. I could not pick him, though. Um, Theodoru. Uh, though of course I was, of course I was on my man Tavares last time out, but in rewatching it, even though I was on Tavares, Theodore did make some improvements in that fight. Um, in his credit, you know, in his credit, in his striking too. Maybe it's the 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 sparse and sporadic times at, at, at TriStar now starting to accumulate in his experience, translating, if you will, to the cage. But yeah, his, his striking was improving. And again, I think it's a little underrated, and it's not, you know, people say, oh, pitter-patter is not a knockout threat. I get that. You know, I'm not saying that, but as far as, like, the offbeat timings, you know, uh, punching off the same side of your kicks and following offset punches off the same side of your kicks at an offbeat timing uh, really disrupts the timing of your opponent, and and their attack kind of gets in their head, throws them off, and I think that's a lot of what we see. So if you're scratching your head going, how is this striking technique scaring guys off and winning rounds? It, that's how. It, it's, it, 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 it's harder to deal with. Like Those guys are almost harder to deal with than the guy who you know is just the Muay Thai stalker going to knock you out. Because like, at least you know what you're getting and you know your danger zones and you know their habits or their general direction of movements. Awkward, herky-jerky guys. Oh, my God. The fucking hardest guys to go against. You just feel like you're going to get hurt. And those are the guys you usually actually do get hurt against in the gym, by the way. I'm um, not saying he's herky-jerky. I mean, again, Theodore is evolving. He's, to his credit, man, He he's a smart kid. He really is. Um, the way he talks about, you know, fighting and stuff. Uh, you know, for a guy that has no business or background being in it, you know, he's a good-looking kid, doesn't need to be doing this. He doesn't have a background in this. But the passion, the pursuit, and the way he talks about it just tells me uh, there's a lot more than meets the eye um, as far as that goes. So uh, I can see why he's favored. He should be. I, 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 I'm not comfortable playing him, though, for that price, uh, especially. So, yeah, I will be avoiding it. I'm not saying you should, so it's not in my avoid list. Pick us Theodora. Next fight, Boyan Velichkovich, uh, plus 115 versus Jake Matthews, who I thought was going to be lined um, as an underdog. I didn't have him. He's my pick, but I was just kind of my – again, I'll kind of do the analysis, and I'll kind of guess what the odds makers have it lined before I go peak when, when it comes to that time. And to be honest, when, I, when it comes to guessing what they think, it's more about – I think it's more about me hoping, you know. <laughs> I'm always hoping, like, ooh, I hope they made the guy. I'm picking the dog so I can play him. I think that's what that was here. But it is a close fight regardless of how, who you're on. There's really an argument for each side. But I, I like Jake Matthews here, even at minus 135, which um, I got him at, oh, wow, I got him at minus 140. So the price actually went down a bit on him. Minus 135 as he is now. Uh, worth a straight play. Worth a straight play. I mean, 
Matthews should be improving this time off. I gotta imagine he's improved. Um, Gas Tank, he looks like a monster some fights. Other fights, it looks like he's suspicious. But he was killing himself to get down to 155. It says he's 5'9", but he's bigger 5'9". He's a big 5'9", if he is 5'9", but he's gotta be bigger than 5'9". I gotta imagine. I mean, he was only, like, what, like, 19 when he first entered the UFC? They might have been going off that measurement, you know, and he's 23 or something like that now. Um, uh, he looks like he's like 5'11", easy, um, a giant 5'10", with a long torso and frame that makes him look taller than he is kind of a deal. I'm sure it's a little bit of that, too. But he's a strong kid, so I, at least even against, you know, Vilichkovic, who, you know, has fought at middleweight, I don't think the size discrepancy is going to be as huge of a factor. Not saying it won't. Not saying Vilichkovic doesn't have size on him. He does. I'm just saying I don't think it's going to be as big of a factor um, as one might think. Uh, and ultimately what it comes down to is the crux of Matthews's game is uh, the common culprit of Boyan's uh, takedowns and pressure against the fence. That's where Boyan gets pinned. Even if he's not taken down, he gets pinned. And he loses a lot of control time getting pinned against the fence. I mean, he's been better as of late in his last two fights. Uh, he is shown to have moments later in the fight where he will adjust. He will use, not just get the underhook, because he'll get the underhook before, but he'll actually use it, scoot his hips out to the side, exit, hip bump, shrug, um, and get his ass out of there. But it's not consistent enough for me to like him in this spot, um, even at dog money. Um, because Matthews, you know, even though his his takedown percentage is, is deceptively low, He's he's good, man. He when he gets guys down, he keeps them down. You know his control time and 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 his succession as far as once he does get the guy down is very high, more than compensates to what at least I believe is is kind of a deceptive stat there. Um, and I kind of elaborate as to why that is in my breakdown because I can't think about I can't think of it now. Oh, that was a weird gust of wind. But. Uh, but yeah, so so the pick here is Matthews. I imagine the time off and going up in weight uh, could be bad things for other uh, profile of fighters. But again, for this young kid growing like this and where he's kind of at right now and how active he was before, I don't think it's a bad. I think it's a good thing. We'll see. It's worth a shot, at least you know for me. I'm not saying you should jump off the cliff with me though. You know. All right, next fight. Uh, Bilal Muhammad, plus 180 underdog versus Tim Means, minus 220. Tim Means is the other prop piece and parlay piece at minus 220, which he still is now. I, which is weird because I I, I'm, I am a fan of Bilal Muhammad, man. He, he, he brings it. He is an overachiever if there was one. He is a well-rounded fighter uh, if there was one, you know, uh, Pressure process keeps his feet underneath him, variates to the body, pressures against the fence, nice serviceable double leg takedown, stays active, passes, finds the back, reads, not just finds, but makes reads for the back, I should say, very well, and that's how he often gets there. Um, and if he can't finish with his rear naked choke, he can hold the position, get control time, that crucial control time steal and or emphasize on the round a lot to like about his game especially means who can sometimes you know because he'll go from pressuring to countering to stick and moving means can do it all but he also can kind of get pinned by the cage not as consistently as the previous fighter we were talking about but sometimes it was a worry i went back 
and I didn't think it was as much of a worry as I initially thought um, because it didn't happen as much as I thought, A, but also because B, um, Means has really improved in his last couple fights. He's always had underrated grappling, and he'll be the first to tell you. But he really has, you know, and I, and I like it. I don't know if Tom Vaughn, his coach, you know, they're fit NH, NHB in New Mexico as a catch wrestling base, but he operates from a lot of catch wrestling style controls. And, you know, Dan Tom, that's his background. That's his love. He loves him some catch wrestling. So um, I kind of I, 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 I kind of got more of a nose for that and was really impressed to see that from Means and, and kind of grow upon that now where he's more just defensive, straight-up wrestling as far as defending shots uh, kind of what we're talking about, Vlachkovic, you know, getting your ass off the fence, scooting away when he does get to those spots, um, which is what he's going to need to do here because, you know, that's inherently Muhammad's game, and that's what he's going to need to do to bank in one rounds. But, you know, I, Muhammad's not, you know, even though he's he's deceptively well all around, uh, he's not being on, he's, or, sorry, he's not beyond being taken down himself. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I would not be surprised to see Means hit one of his slick foot trips or foot sweeps or anything like that either. Uh, you never know. But on the feet, though, I ultimately just see Means being able to counter. I see his up elbows, his left crosses, which, by the way, from both stances, southpaw and orthodox, which Means fights from both, but more importantly, Muhammad, left hooks, left crosses from southpaw or left hooks from orthodox stance, both have been his common culprit throughout fights, and those are means as money shots. Uh, he's the taller guy, but I think he'll be a speed advantage. I think I think means means is going to be piecing him up once he finds his timing, unless Bilal can take him off his game early, which he can. Bilal's a savage. I don't mean to be discounting him here. I know it sounds like it just by nature. If you're just reading into my bets, I like Bilal. I really do. But the pick here for that reason. With that, that dynamic in hand is means. So I played means inside the distance. Plus 141 at half a unit. And again, minus 220, which he still is, as the parlay piece to pair up with Benoit. Which I believe gets you uh, even to plus money. Uh, depending on what number you get both those guys at. Um, I'm bad. I don't have a parlay calculator in front of me. Forgive me. But yeah, it's, it's nothing crazy. But yeah, take it for what you will. All right, co-main event time. Co-main event time. It was supposed to be someone else, and again, I'm I'm blanking. The injury bug just kind of wrecked this card. Uh, do you come from a land down under the quintessential Australian Beck Rawlings fights? Jessica Rose Clark, another Australian who kind of has a a um, boy. I want to say a similar game to previous opponent, but uh, there might have been multiple previous opponents for this, and I can't even think of the name. Neither here nor there, Jessica Rose Clark, she actually has been training in my backyard. Another Australian who left the uh, who left the, uh, the the homeland, if you will, and came to the States for some training. She trains the Syndicate MMA with John Wood there. I believe they did her last two camps, I want to say. Maybe two camps, maybe three. It was two years she's been out here. Something like that. Uh, that that that's roughly the timeline. Um, you know, her Jessica Rose Clark stand-ups improved. She's more of a stick-and-move stylist. Uh, her game is mainly reactive shots and parlaying shots into the clinch, into clinch pressure, turning girls around, and pushing them into the fence. A lot of the fights take place there. Makes for a lot of tough watches. Also made for a lot of decisions in the last back half of her career. 
However, there are things to like, you know, under the work of Big Wood MMA, you know, John Wood there and the Muay Thai, her leg kicks are, are, are coming through, you know, she's starting to punctuate her more boxing-centric attack, and you kind of saw that come together in her last fight against Karina Dam, who is like, Jesus, the journeyman of job, uh, of jobber-like uh, fighters, if you will, for, for the female divisions. Like, you just see certain names. Like, I see this name all the time, but I never see them in the UFC. I always see that name for people. They beat this person before they go into the UFC. Unfortunately for Karina Dam, uh, who's been around, man. She's a veteran, all due respect. I know I was kind of, you know, talking, talking smack right there. Forgive me, I'm very tired. and I'm plowing through uh, my opinionated rant, but... uh. But, but but much respect, man. She she's a vet, and and that was a good performance by Clark. However, you know, she, not just the decisions, but the wins, losses, and just the inconsistency. She's young, and there's still a lot of problems. She's still finding herself. I'm not trying to say this in a condemning nature at all, but you know, been inconsistent as of late. Whereas Beck Rawlings, I think it's one of those things where it's like the narrative goes both ways. Like, you know, some people they stick around because they're marketable, right? And for that reason, we we, we hate these people. Like, oh, they're just like because they're marketable and they have blonde hair. And blah, blah, blah. And I get that. Believe me, I, I can be one of those people myself. Okay, I get it. But that goes both ways. Where that can start to blind you because you have Beck Rawlings, where that could have been her story early. Oh, she's the, in the poster for a Tough Twenty, and she has the tattoos and this and that. And she's not that great of a fighter, or whatever your criticisms may have been at the time. But the truth is she's really made some improvements and I don't think really gotten credit for him since coming over to the States and moving moving shop uh, to Alliance MMA since, since the Tough 20 show um, because of that narrative. So those, in other words, those narratives, it's a double-edged sword, right? It can work both ways there. So you got to be careful. And at the end of the day, you got to just, if you want to know, watch the footage, do the homework. There's no shortcut for the work people in anything you do in life. Um, even if there is. <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, um, Beck Rawlings, you know, uh, improved boxing and more importantly, pressure boxing. And against a girl who, it's her UFC debut, short notice. Though the Karina Dam fight was in short short notice too, and she did well there. So it's not a, again not a condemnation on, on on Clark by any means. But you know those things do got to be factored in with the debut and the stick and move style of style. I could see Beck even if she's not being having the most effective night as far as accuracy. I can still seeing her, you know, putting more numbers and pushing Clark to the fence, which, of course, scores well with the judges, whether we agree with that or not, whether it's effective or not. Um, you know, her wrestling's improved both defensively and offensively. Uh, we'll see if, if it, you know, I will I will vouch and say I do, do see defensive improvements. I'm not saying it's going to be able to thwart the takedowns of Clark. That'll be the crux of this fight. But uh, the scrambling ability, you know, um, has gotten better. And, and again, Clark, Clark is, you know, is good on the ground. She likes to get fights there, but it's not like she's game over status there by any means. So um, I was thinking about the decision prop, you know, for, for Rawlings in, in a fight where she probably, should, you know, this fight's probably going to go to the decision with you look at the girls' trends and then also... Rawlings, who didn't never seems to really have respect for her opponent, seems to have respect for her. I think because they're kind of cut from a similar cloth. These two gals, if you look at them, and they're both Australian gals uh, and all that good stuff. And I think there could be that kind of subtle respect where even if she's doing well and teeing off on her, you know, I don't want to say she or anybody else in the past have carried any fighters, but you hear that term carrying a fighter. I could see kind of one of those scenarios. Um, and 
you know, she's got the style that judges generally like more for winning as far as coming forward, aggression, and volume. So, the pick is Beck, but, you know, I'm still on the fence, obviously, as you can hear by my reluctantness to, to, to commit to anything as far as playing it goes. But, yeah, that's your, that's your whopper of a co-main event, folks. UFC schedule, baby, every week. Yay. You know how the, I feel about that. I just need some sleep. <laughs> Main event time. Marcin Tabura versus the Boomerang Rang 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 Verdoomerang Rang 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 Fabricio Verdoom. Fabricio is the favorite. Minus 355 comeback on Tibura. Plus 295. Um, obviously, the pick here is Verdoom. I think this fight could potentially be tougher, more competitive, and go along. Yes. Though I was surprised on the odds with striking distance. I believe it was like well, minus 190 if I won't go the distance, if you don't think it is. Yeah. Well, minus 205 people are on, on to that. That didn't last long. Um, looks like it's climbing up. But, yeah, I do have Verdum inside the distance, but I don't think it's going to be till later. Uh, uh, Tybora has a good risk management, um, an ever-improving game. Spent a good amount of time, not like a, a Johnny Hendricks three-week camp at Jackson's, but Tybora, I think he did like eight, I want to say eight weeks or so at least, um, down there. And just seems like a real dedicated guy, student of the game, seems like a real smart guy, very well-rounded, very technical, things I like to, traits I like to see in fighters, especially heavyweight fighters, right? You don't see that as much. Um, if you want to paint with stereotypes as far as technical fighters, intelligent fighters, or this or that, which I hate to go there, but I'm just saying for going by stereotypes. I don't agree with them, I'm just saying those are the stereotypes. So when you see guys like Tybura, uh, that's cool. But just like tough isn't enough, cool isn't enough either all the time. So uh, I couldn't pick him here. Um, his counter-wrestling and his ground, his ground game is good, but you know, Verdum is just another level, man. Another level. I hate to you know, abuse that term, but it's very true. And I don't know if uh, Tybora could, could stop the trips with the takedowns, but I, I don't know if Verdum can execute him like he normally does. You know, you've heard me talk about it before. Those numbers of his takedown attempts. He was the first person to take Travis Brown down at the time in their first fight, which was impressive, but that was a while ago, and we don't see Verdum shoot as much, and you hear behind the scenes that he has back problems. You can't help but speculate and correlate the two. Um, but as we've seen in both of their fights and in just heavyweight fights in general, there's plenty of ways for a heavyweight fight to hit the ground without an official takedown being scored. That's right, knockdowns, scrambles, and all those fun things in between. Uh, places where Verdun thrives, you know, he, he thrives inside the chaos. And I kind of elaborate on the chaos, both in the scramble on the floor and even on the feet, you know, as far as, uh, drawing fouls, if you will. Um, again, um, you can check that, check it out at MMAJunkie.com. Um, but yeah, uh, go read the details on that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get out of here. I'm tired as you can tell. I'm, I'm gonna fall asleep fucking doing this goddamn thing. I'm fixing the, the Amazon banners. I know other podcasts have had issues with theirs before. And, uh, so until I fix mine, hopefully by next one, cause I'm, I need to get it up by this, uh, Black Friday and Christmas shopping. Um, again, I know, I know I'm always tired and half awake, but I do put a lot in my work and I do appreciate y'all following along. It means the world to me. Uh, I'm so grateful for this. I love this. This is my passion. And I intend to keep this um, passionate. I intend to keep putting 110% of my work. And I intend to keep it all free for you. 
to have, enjoy, and reference. And, but to do that, you know, um, I do try to supplement in other areas, whether it's through the click-throughs or hopefully in, in the future getting some, you know, you know, ad revenues, whether it's uh, sponsors, any <clears throat> any coffee sponsorships looking out there, any energy uh, type sponsorships, any, any anything, MMA space type sponsorships, you know, uh, kind of things. And going that route, I really want to avoid um, the pay route. It's not my thing. I'm not saying it as a threat, by the way. I'm just saying I just don't like the, that format. Um, so all your guys' support means a lot. Uh, the on it click-through does work. <laughs> um, uh, but more importantly than any of that and stuff, that has to do with, uh, you know, your, your shopping and all your business. You know what? The shouts. The shouts mean so much more. You reading my breakdowns means so much more. The tags, the shares... The kind words, the iTunes ratings and reviews, they mean so much more. They really do. Um, that's not just lip service. So thank you all for those. Um, I'll, I think we might have got some more of those. I'll get to them on the next one. May have some new things coming your way. Uh, but just with this schedule, all I have time for really is just for these breakdown shows at the moment. So I have not forgot about the top fives or any of the other things. It's just, it's just hard to get to. So if I haven't gotten back to you, I apologize. Don't hate me. Bear with me. I love you. Hopefully, you guys are going to love me back, but hopefully you love life and are doing well because uh, this shit's short. It's precious, y'all. So, um, good luck on your plays this weekend. Watch out for boomerangs. <laughs> Careful about talking shit <laughs> to uh, Fabricio Verdum, who always wants to keep it real, <laughs> apparently. And of course, until next time. Protect your neck.